Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Good to see you. I've got kind of a rough throat this morning. I've been coughing and hacking. I've been doing a really good job of following the rules and coughing into my elbow. Y'all doing that now? Uh, is it causing problems for anybody else? When I cough into my elbow, especially when I'm driving, my glasses fog up. <laughs> and, and, and then, honestly, spreading germs would be the least, uh, least horrible thing that could happen uh, uh, when I'm fogged up like that. But uh, delighted to be with you this morning. Open your Bibles once more to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. Daniel in the lion's den is the story today. Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. Let's start off by talking about a very simple word, a uh, familiar word, a word that really applies when you get to the book of Daniel. The word is integrity, uh, integrity. How would you define the word integrity? Any ideas? What's integrity? Yeah, what'd you say, Wallace? Ethics? Yeah, exactly. Ethics or a, a person's true convictions. Uh, I would define integrity as that ability uh, that, that tendency to live completely within the boundaries of a person's true convictions. Uh, to live completely within the boundaries of your true convictions. It's one thing to say that you have convictions. It's, it's one thing to say that you're a Christian, for example. It's a whole other thing always to live within the boundaries of those convictions. Integrity is to live fully within the bounds of those convictions. I would also say that the level of your integrity is equal to the amount of pressure it takes to compromise you. You know what I mean? The, the level of your integrity is equal to the amount of pressure it takes to bend you or to compromise you. The, the amazing thing about the book of Daniel is that all through his story, Daniel does not bend. Daniel does not compromise. And for that, he winds up in the lion's den. Start with me. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. This is an amazing, familiar story to you, I'm sure. But uh, still, let's read together. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers, and because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. All right. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. <clears throat> and now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. 
okay, they're motivated by jealousy. They always have been. Throughout Daniel's story, the, the others, his peers, the other government officials within the, the, the court of Babylon, they're always jealous because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these fellows who love the Lord and walk in their integrity, they continue to be blessed. They continue to prosper. They just continue to rise to the top. And it's still happening. Daniel now is up in years. This is later in his life. There's a new king. The new king is Darius. And Darius also intends to promote Daniel high and above all of the others. And they simply cannot stand that. So they, they, they determine themselves that they're going to find some dirt on Daniel. Somehow they've got to bring him down. They've got to ruin him. And so they begin, again, these are government officials. This is the CIA, understand? They have all ability to peer into every single aspect of Daniel's life, and that's what they begin to do. They're going to find a fault. But they didn't have a lot of luck, did they? Isn't that amazing? They went through all of Daniel's work records, and it turns out Daniel had never had a negative evaluation. Daniel had never missed a day's work. He'd never even taken a sick day. And that was just at work. So they went through all of his bank records. And, and according to his bank records, there were simply no questionable transactions. Daniel's finances were always, always completely beyond reproach. So they started investigating his house. They hack into his iPhone. Turns out there are no embarrassing texts or no naked selfies on Daniel's phone. You understand? This guy is clean. They go to his house, they look in his medicine cabinet, there's nothing in the medicine cabinet except dental floss, you know, and regular strength Tylenol. There's just nothing there. Daniel had never even wiped a booger under a couch cushion, you understand? <laughs> He's that guy. He had no speeding tickets, he had no angry ex-girlfriends, he had no overdue library books, nothing, nothing. Now, some of us are probably tempted to say, this is just a story. There's nobody in the world, nobody in history who could ever be that good, nobody who could ever be that clean. Do you think? Is this guy just some sort of biblical creation, some sort of freak of nature? Or does this kind of integrity actually exist? Well, I'm here to say this kind of integrity actually exists. There are people who live this way. There are people who are devoted to God, who love God, who walk according to their integrity. They live within the bounds of their convictions. You understand? My tendency and your tendency is to pretend like that kind of integrity doesn't exist. Because if we can say that kind of integrity doesn't exist, we don't have to explain why we lack that kind of integrity. Daniel had that kind of integrity. There were absolutely no faults, no flaws. Now, first off, let me just ask you this. If you knew that you had an enemy who was watching you like this day and night, if you knew that there was somebody who was peering into every aspect of your life day and night, what would you have to change? What would you have to hide? What would you be worried about? Look back at verse 4. Can you imagine plugging your name into verse 4? Look at the last part. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Plug your name in. Tim was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Can you put your name in that blank? Can you put your name in verse 4? Nothing to criticize or condemn because this is what integrity looks like. 
No, I asked you if you had an enemy that you knew was watching you, who was looking to find a way to bring you down, would you have to change the way you live your life day or, or night? Well, you need to understand you do have an enemy. Your enemy is the devil. And he does watch you. He, he studies your life. He has nothing else to do. He's a devil. This is his full-time job to study you and look for ways to bring you down. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that your life has an opposition. Your life has the one who would destroy you and looks for ways to destroy you. What you have to remember is that the devil learns and studies, and he knows exactly where to apply the pressure to bend you. He knows exactly where to apply the pressure in your life, and that's where your struggle's going to be. That's where your struggles are now. Do you not understand that? The reason why you seem every single day to wake up and step out into a day where temptation seems tailor-made. You know what I mean? The temptation always is just tailor-made. The devil knows me. He knows my weakness. He knows my desires. He knows exactly where to put the pressure. His desire is to bend me. His desire is to destroy me. That explains where my struggles are. It explains where your struggles are, too. You have an enemy, he never takes his eyes off of you. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king that that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, He's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. That the king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Really interesting. I, I use the word integrity to talk about Daniel. Notice what happens. The, the law's been passed. The, 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 these guys know that the only way to find a fault in Daniel, the only way to make Daniel an outlaw, is to somehow outlaw his faith. You see that? The, the only way. He has no flaw. He has no fault. Daniel has these two strengths, actually. He has this strength of being totally devoted to the king, totally 
loyal to the king, but also utterly faithful to God. And so the only way possible to make Daniel an outlaw is to bring these two things into conflict, to make his devotion to the king and his faithfulness to God somehow at odds. So they manipulate the king because the king is vain, the king is proud, he's very easily manipulated, and so they manipulate him into passing this law. Now what's the law? First off, they said, King, why don't you just make yourself God for 30 days? Okay, that's just weird. God for 30 days? I mean, if I'm God, if I'm going to be God, why wouldn't I just be God for eternity? He's going to be God for, he's going to try out God for 30 days. He's going to be God. And nobody can pray to any other God, no human, no, no God, nothing. You can only pray to King Darius and somehow King Darius thinks that's a good idea. Everybody's going to direct all their prayers to him. So he sets himself up as the almighty, all-powerful for 30 days. Yeah, 30 days. Daniel knows about the law. And again, Daniel, who is totally faithful to the king and utterly faithful to God, suddenly he has to make a choice. Suddenly those two things are at odds. And what does Daniel do? Daniel does what he always does. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual, as usual, in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God, asking for God's help. Okay, remember we are talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we all sort of said that in that situation, when the music played, and if you're going to die if you didn't bow down before the statue, we said that we might fake it. We might just fake it. And in Daniel's situation, what might we do? Now, Daniel has a choice. He chooses to go home and pray like he always does, but there's one thing he probably could have done, and it would have saved him a lot of trouble, and it wouldn't, I don't think you could say there's anything wrong with it. What could he have done? Close the drapes. Daniel, just close the drapes. Wouldn't be anything wrong with praying. The Bible never says you got to pray with your windows open. That's not a commandment. It's just that that's always what Daniel's done. He's always prayed with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now, you can't see, literally, you can't see Jerusalem from Babylon. But something about when Daniel prayed, he wanted to see a horizon. He wanted to be able to look at sky. He wanted to be able to look past Babylon because remember, his whole life, he's basically been a prisoner. He's been a political prisoner in a land that is not his own. And I imagine that part of what keeps this man going every single day are these moments in prayer when he goes back to, to his own home, he opens his window, he imagines a place far away which is his heart's true home, and he prays in the direction of the temple. He prays in the direction of his homeland. He prays in the direction of his people. He prays toward Jerusalem. Okay. The Bible doesn't say you have to do that. And there probably wouldn't have been anything wrong if Daniel just wanted to keep on praying, but close the windows. Nobody would know. Daniel prays with the windows open just like he always did. Why do you think that's so important to him? 
You know, a lot of times we think of prayer as, as simply talking to God, and it is talking to God, but, but prayer is also a very important way of being in the world. I don't know a better way to say that. Prayer is a way of being in the world. And from your knees in prayer, you can see the world differently. And I suppose growing as Daniel has grown as a prisoner in a pagan land, he needed to have that vantage point every day, that, that position of being before God and also looking at the world. And he's not going to give up that perspective. He's not going to close those windows. That's how he prays. So just as he has always done, the scripture says, he prays three times a day. It's, it's this unflinching obedience that the law is passed. He knows the consequence of the law. He will not change what he does. He doesn't flaunt it. Notice he's not throwing open the windows so that they'll see. He's throwing open the windows because he's always thrown open the windows. He doesn't change a thing. He's not flaunting it. He's not hiding it. He's just faithful. He's just simply faithful. Now look at the king with me for a second, because I think this turkey is just amazing. He's passed this law that says, you got to pray to me for 30 days, I'm God for 30 days. Now, that's an amazing sort of claim, it's an amazing place to put yourself, because it seems to imply, listen, you got a need, you just ask me, I'm like God, you pray to me. You need to bow down to something as, as the, the, most, uh, the most worthy thing in all the world. You bow down to me. This is what he's saying. And yet in this story, this king's law, that this claim to be the almighty, this claim to have the power to answer all prayer, this king turns out to be the most powerless man in the whole story. Do you see that? He can't even do what he wants to do. He never intended to trap Daniel, whom he recognizes as the most loyal, the man with most integrity in the entire kingdom. His plan has been to make Daniel vice president. He thinks a lot of Daniel. He would have never intended to trap Daniel in this situation, but that's exactly what it's done. But once it's done, he can't undo it. This, this one who sets himself up as God, as it turns out, he can't even do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is turn all of this back, but, but he can't. And I think the funniest thing, it's sad, but it's funny. Verse 16, as the king gives orders and puts Daniel in the lion's den, what does he say? May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. What is that? What is that? I'm thinking you need to throw the king in right behind Daniel. Because what did he just do in verse 16? He prays. That's kind of a prayer. And who's he praying to? Daniel's God. May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you it's an amazing moment of prayer the stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel so that no one could rescue Daniel I love lines like this it says when Daniel prayed three times a day what did he pray for it says he prayed for God's help he prayed for God's help because he knew he needed help. He was facing the lions. 
you got to understand that in the moment when he's thrown into that den of lions, he probably fully expects to die. Probably fully expects to die. Daniel doesn't pray in order to have God save his life. Do you see that? He doesn't remain faithful thinking that somehow that will be an exchange for something God will do for him. Daniel faces that lion's den with, with courage but with utter faithfulness. But, but his faithfulness has never been about what God would do for him. Daniel is faithful and Daniel prays because Daniel knows who God is. And knowing God, he will not deny God. Did you understand the difference? Because so many of us in our relationship with God, we only really remain faithful in hopes that God will be faithful to us. We only remain faithful to God thinking that if, if we're good people, that God will reward us. And, and we would think that if you're faithful and good, you'd never have to suffer the way a man like Daniel suffers. But Daniel's faithfulness to God is not necessarily connected to the hope for favors from God. And this is the difference between mature faith and, and immature faith. And I think many of us have very immature faith because like children, we only intend to be faithful to God as long as God continues to, to rain the treats upon us. That's not Daniel's way. Look back in chapter 5, verse 23. It's the story you did in a small group last week. Verse 23, it's, just, it's on the same page in, in, in my Bible. When Daniel was confronting the king with the handwriting on the wall, do you remember that? He says these words, and in these words, Daniel says something very important about who God is. The bottom of verse 23 in chapter 5, he says, You have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. You have not honored the God who holds your breath and all your ways in his hand. That's what the scripture says. See, Daniel knows who God is, and knowing who God is, he's not going to deny God. He remains faithful simply because he knows God, and he trusts God. Let's go on. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Isn't that amazing? He didn't sleep all night. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Is that weird? He, he threw him to the lions like 12 hours ago, last night. And all of these hours have passed. The king hasn't slept. He's fasted all night long. He's prayed all night long that somehow Daniel's God would rescue him. And now he rushes out in the morning, something like 12 hours later. And he says what, Daniel? That, that, that's interesting. I thought this was going to be a story about Daniel's execution. It's a different kind of story. Let, let's keep going. Was the God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. Daniel answered, long live the king. Man, I'm telling you, I don't know if that would be the first thing I say when I see that king again. I might want to say something about the king. Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent. I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Why didn't he do that like 12 hours ago? He ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. 
Okay, stop. What kind of story is this? It started out, you would think it's, it's an execution story. It's a story about a man who broke the law and therefore was guilty, and he suffers the punishment for his, for his breaking of the law, being thrown to the den of lions. That's the way the law was written. But the story changes. It changes right in the middle. It's really not a story of execution. It's what we would call a trial by ordeal. That's a technical term. It's a trial by ordeal. In other words, it's, it's a trial to determine guilt or innocence. But the way you determine guilt or innocence is to put the person through some sort of ordeal. Put them through a situation that will reveal whether they are guilty or innocent. Now, the first time I ever heard anything like this was when I was visiting my aunt and uncle who lived in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And in Virginia Beach, Virginia, there is a particular road called Witch Duck Road. Witch, W-I-T-C-H, <laughs> Witch Duck Road, Witch Duck Road. Anybody ever heard of Witch Duck Road, Virginia Beach, Virginia? Yeah, it's actually a rather famous place. Back around 1706, there was a woman who was accused of being a witch. Her name was Grace Sherwood. They accused her of being a witch primarily, apparently, because she was pretty. And so they accused her of being a, a witch. Now, how do you really determine if somebody's a witch? They asked Grace if she's a witch, and she said, no. Of course she's going to say she's not. How do you determine? Again, we're talking about in the 1700s. So what they did was a trial by ordeal. If you're following this on the live event, uh, on version, I've included information here. It's kind of a fun story. They tied, it's not a fun story, I'm sorry, Grace. They tied her thumbs to her big toes. That They tied her thumbs to her big toes and they put her in the water long enough to drown. Because they, what they're thinking was, if she drowns, we'll know she wasn't a witch. If she lives, we'll know she's a witch and we'll kill her. Yeah, it's kind of hard to win, understand? They threw her into the river, hands tied to her feet. She managed to get loose. She swam to shore, which proved to them she was guilty. So she spent the rest of her life in jail. Grace Sherwood, which it's a trial by ordeal. Because she survived, they determined that she must be guilty. Okay, so in Daniel's story, it's, it's the same sort of thing. This becomes a determination of whether he's truly guilty or, or innocent, and he's proven innocent. Notice what it says. Daniel says, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found, say the word, innocent. I have been found innocent in God's sight, and I've not wronged you either, your majesty. King was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lions and along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. 
So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. It's a trial by ordeal. The fact that Daniel survives the lions means that God has found him faithful. God has found him innocent. Let's say a couple of things. First off, your life, your whole life is a trial by ordeal. You know what I mean? In other words, the, the person you really are and the person God sees you to be, that, that's all going to come out in your life. You, your life is a trial by ordeal. Every single day, by the way you live, by the way you respond, by the way you talk, by the choices you make, you're revealing the person you truly are. And in this trial by ordeal, you're going to face lions. I guess my question for you today is, what are the lions you face? For some of you, like Daniel, it's, it's, it's simply having to live and work among people who really don't share your convictions. They really don't understand your faith, and they do not share your reliance upon God. It's sort of like a lion's den for some of you every day at work or even in your family. Maybe the lion for some of you is an unbelieving spouse, an unbelieving wife, or an unfaithful husband. Or maybe the lion in your life is, is a rebellious teenager, a, a rebellious child. I, I don't know. For some of us, the, the lion is the lion of temptation, the lion of lust, or the lion of addiction. For some of us, it's the lion of, of, of laziness, sloth. The bottom line is, every single one of us every day will, will face these struggles. We, we will face this trial by ordeal. We're going to face our lions. And as I said, your enemy, the devil, he knows exactly where to bend. He knows exactly where to put the pressure to try to bring you down. That's that's where your challenges will be. So how do you face these lions? How can you stand? How can you remain in your integrity? How can you have victory when there truly is an enemy or, or enemies every single day determined to bring you down? Turn back quickly to the book of Joshua chapter 1. Back in the Old Testament, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Find Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to, say the word, obey. So that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Understand that that key is obedience. You have to live a life obedient to God. As pastor, lots and lots of time, I suppose every week somebody will say to me, you know, Pastor Tim, brother, but Brother Tim, God doesn't talk to me. I don't really know what God's will is for my life. Well, I understand why you're saying that, but I'm not sure you understand why you're saying that. I mean, honestly, God speaks to us in his word. And, and, and if you were spending the rest of your life just reading this book, meditating on this book of instruction, and learning to obey everything in it, I think that you'd have a full-time job. Understand? So you can't simply say, I don't know what God wants for me. Yes, you do know. You don't want to know. That your problem is you don't want to know. 
You just pretend that God doesn't speak. You pretend not to have any idea. That way you can just do what you want to do. But, but truly, if you'll be honest with yourself, notice what the scripture says. Just study this book of instruction continually, day and night, so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. And not just a hearer of the word, but a doer. You understand? You, you obey. And, and that obedience is the key to, to everything, to, to prospering and succeeding in all you do. Verse 9, this is my command, be strong and courageous. That's a commandment. That's kind of funny because I would think strength and courage are sort of those, you know, either you are or either you ain't strong and courageous. But it's actually a, a commandment. You be strong. You be courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Daniel faced lions, lions, an entire night in a den of lions, and he comes out without a scratch. Where do you get that kind of courage? Where do you get that kind of strength? Well, honestly, if you really want to understand how Daniel survives the den of lions, you'd have to understand something about Daniel's prayer life. It wasn't so much that Daniel was, was shown to be courageous and strong. It wasn't so much that Daniel found power in the lion's den. Daniel found power in the prayer closet. Daniel found power on his knees before God multiple times a day, day after day after day. Do you understand? The reason why you and I lack that kind of power, the reason that you and I do not succeed and prosper in all we do, the reason why the lions eat us for lunch every day is honestly, we really don't have this kind of life of spiritual integrity that Daniel has. The reason your life is so powerless is because you are so prayerless. Power is in a life of prayer. And I'm not just talking about saying a blessing over the meals. It's knowing every single day who God is and who he is to you, how much you need him. It's putting yourself in a position to hear his voice and to see the world the way he sees the world. It's an entire way of life, prayer. And the prayerless life is a powerless life. If you really want to learn the secret to integrity, if you really want to learn the secrets from the life of Daniel, it's not a very closely kept secret. It's simply this. There is great power in quiet, everyday faithfulness. There's great power in quiet, everyday faithfulness. You don't so much slay the lions in the lion's den, in other words. You slay the lions every single day when you drop to your knees and pray. The power is in the praying. So pray with me. Lord God, we are a church crowd and we tell ourselves that we're Christians and that we have a close relationship with you. And yet, Lord, 
we do not live a life of prayer. Daniel prayed multiple times a day, at least three times a day, and nothing would stop him from his praying, Lord. We do not live lives of that kind of consistency and strength. God, help us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find ourselves in your word daily, finding out what it is you want us to do and learning to obey everything. I pray, Lord, that that habit of being in the word would be combined by a a life of being in prayer, Lord, where we speak to you and, and listen for your voice and draw from the strength and courage that you would give us. Lord, we face lions every day. The enemy knows exactly where to put the pressure to bend us, to compromise us. And so many of us, Lord, we fail every single day. We give up, we bend, we compromise. We do not live lives of integrity and truth. God, help us. Holy Spirit, convict hearts in this house and in the sound of my voice in the cafe, Lord Jesus. Make those of us who claim to know you and those of us who call ourselves Christians and those of us who call upon your name, Lord God, make it so that our lives are lives of utter faithfulness and integrity, quiet, everyday habits of prayer and scripture, Lord, that will give us victory. Lord, forgive us for telling ourselves that that kind of integrity and faithfulness doesn't exist. Forgive us, Lord, for convincing ourselves that everybody else is as lazy and lame as we are. Lord God, help us to set Christ as our example. Help us, Lord, to live a life that's true. We pray these things in the name and in the example of Jesus. Amen.